From the great state of Ohio, Buckeye Firearms Association presents Keep and Bear Radio, fighting for Second Amendment rights, calling out media lies, and telling the gun grabbers to come and take it. Now, Keep and Bear Radio. According to a study sponsored by the gun grabbers at Everytown, gun owners are racist. A British tabloid thinks it's insidious for the gun industry to have lobbyists like every other industry. And a Florida Bass Pro refuses to sell a gun to a customer even though he passed the background check. And that's what we're going to talk about on this episode of Keep and Bear Radio. I'm Dean Reek, Executive Director of Buckeye Firearms Association, and I'm joined by Lee Williams, Chief Editor of the Second Amendment Foundation's Investigative Journalism Project and Board Member of Florida Carry. Hi, Lee. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Dean. Good to be back. So, Lee, what's new in the Sunshine State? Well, it is 95 degrees, and I don't oh. think that should come as news because, you know, it gets warm in the summer here. I uh, I look forward to finding out who I need to pay in the government to fix the weather and maybe make it a little more cool. Wow. See, that now that's why I'm not going to move to Florida. I'm, I'm looking at my computer right now. It says 84, mostly sunny, but it's, you know, it's Ohio, so mostly sunny just means it's light outside doesn't yeah. actually mean we can see the sun. You know, what about the humidity? That That's what always got me about Florida. I mean, the, the humidity was just like a thousand percent. It is it is warm and it is humid, but this is my favorite time of year because all the touristas are, are staying away. They're staying up in Canada or in New York or wherever, and there's no lines and it's you can drive. There's no gridlock. So uh, June, July, and August kind of keeps Florida for Floridians. Yeah. Well, I lived in Las Vegas for a while. So, I mean, you know, you definitely get heat out there. It's not unusual at all to walk outside and it's 105 and 110. But, you know, like they say, they joke about it being a dry heat, but it really is. If you've ever flown into the airport there and walked, you know, from the nice air conditioning, those doors open and then you hit the outside and it's like, oh, man, yeah. you know, is this a state or is this, a, is this an oven? I mean, it's it's really hot, but it's actually kind of pleasant. It's a pleasant hot. Yeah, I don't mind it. I don't mind the the desert. It uh, it kind of grows on you. It is really warm here with the humidity. Uh, thank God, you know, uh, I I get to work from home and uh, pretty much live in the AC. So, Lee, let's talk about some of your recent reporting. I saw this really interesting, somewhat disturbing article with a study that came out from every town and Southern Poverty Law Center. They sponsored this study, and basically it comes out and says, gun owners are male supremacists and racists. So, you know, this is not really all that surprising. The anti-gun crowd, you know, has always believed that there's something dark and evil about gun owners. Otherwise, you know, why would they have guns? And it's, you know, really it was only a matter of time before they started calling us racist. That's kind of a favorite tactic on the left these days. If you don't agree with them, you're a racist. So, oh, it's, uh, the, it's the easiest way to marginalize a group. 
uh, and you know the the left has it uh, down to a T. I mean, they've perfected it. So it was only a matter of time, you know, for the gun ban industry to pick up on this and start using it. Yeah, it was uh, about what you'd expect from anything that uh, has anything to do with every town for gun safety. And uh, also the SPLC, Southern Poverty Law Center, got involved. They've been pivoting more toward becoming a full-time gun control group every day. But then there was a third group. It's called the Polarization and Extremism Research and Innovation Lab, known as PERIL. And if you're a proud and uh, supportive of your gun rights, they are in peril. Uh, they started, Peril started in Germany, uh, and now they're operating here in the United States. Their mission is, and I'm quoting, to develop an empirically based, I'm sorry, an empirically tested, nationally scalable intervention to prevent youth from radicalizing to white supremacist extremism which is kind of hard to fit on a business card. Basically, Daddy Warbucks, Michael Bloomberg, Tiny Mike gave him gave them some money and told them to go out. They, they, they uh, divided their research into three phases. First phase, they looked at the gun media. Uh, I hope they looked at my channel. And they identified 68 online pro-gun media sources to try and look at what type of propaganda these young racists-to-be are, are getting. And then they for, they surveyed 4,000 youths, ages, this is the interesting part, they're considering youth if they're ages 14 to 30. Okay, they don't explain why 30-year-olds. Well, I mean, uh, Lee, I mean, at my age, I do consider 30 <laughs> youth, okay? I mean, I didn't used to, but I certainly do now. Yeah. Well, the, the findings from the uh, first two phases – uh, you know, a majority of youth said gun violence was a problem. They suppose, supposedly said that. 42% claimed they had easy access to guns, and 25% and said that they'd experienced an active shooter lockdown. Um, whatever. Uh, I looked at their, their references, and they, they're they using CNN, they're using New York Times, they're using 4chan. And then they did they they referenced four studies that were written by every town for gun safety. So that shows you the scientific value of this damn thing. What really pissed me off though, more than anything is this, this is above and, and beyond here. They're calling our kids racist and, and uh, male supremacist, whatever hell that is. They're also saying they're mentally ill uh, and they have higher levels of racial resentment and PTSD. I got to tell you, I, I had to call them out. I had the story written. I had the story turned in. And uh, about the minute I sent the story out, my boss, uh, the, our executive vice president, Alan Gottlieb, the smartest guy in guns, starts texting the hell out of me. Did you see this study? We got we got to do something about this. We have to push back on this. I, it was one of those fun times where I could say, Alan, the story's in the can, what the Army used to call anticipating the command. But yeah, this is a PSYOP. This is typical Bloomberg. But since it involved our kids, man, I, I just think they went too damn far. Yeah. I mean, I, I took a look at the study, and it seems to be one of those things where it was preordained to label people as yeah. racist. You know, then they sort of attached the concept to firearms or reasons for owning firearms. So it was like, here are attitudes we think are racist. These are attitudes gun owners have. Therefore, gun owners are racist. So, I, I mean, it was – and it's kind of questionable, too, because every town and SPLC, they are vehemently anti-gun. And I think yeah. it's fair to question their motives and the honesty for research like that. I mean, why would they even sponsor it if they weren't going to get a result that they wanted? 
Yeah. Well, I, I guarantee you the, the results were preordained or tiny Mike Bloomberg would not have, have uh, issued a check. You know, they're not going to put something out there saying, hey, these kids are are fine, even though they're into guns. Now, that we know that's not going to happen when these two two groups are involved. Unfortunately, the, the legacy media, you know, boom, off it went and it was everywhere. Well, we've talked about that before, uh, this idea that, you know, there are these Bloomberg groups that there's sort of an assembly line of organizations to do gun control research, publish the research, and then feed that into the mainstream media to bring it to the masses. So every town sponsors the research, the trace or other anti-gun publications, they publish it, and then the left-leaning media picks that up and reports on it as if it's legitimate. So it's just like a factory of anti-gun information being fed out to the public. And if you're a bad news consumer and you're reading USA Today, you're going to see that written as a news story and appearing in news, uh, even though it was written by full-time anti-gun activists at The Trace. Uh, Legacy media does not like to tell its readers that these are activists. These are not journalists. Okay, they're not reporters. They're anti-gun activists who are masquerading as journalists. Uh, unfortunately, they're having more and more success getting their uh, propaganda into mainstream media sources passed off as news. So you have to be a smart news consumer and always look for the source. Well, just imagine the counterfactual on this. So let's say that you know BFA, our organization, sponsors some research. The NRA publishes that research. And then Breitbart or other right-leaning outlets report the research, right? So would the media ever accept that? I I mean, I don't think so. I've asked that question a hundred times. I've hit USA Today, I don't know how many times with their own ethics policies that says you cannot, you have to be aware of activists and you cannot give them a free reign, basically. And I have yet to hear from them because they are allowing activists, anti-gun activists to write news stories. And in a couple of cases, even edit content that goes into the newspaper, which as a former newspaper man makes me want to pull what little hair I have left out. Well, this whole thing sounds like it's part of this current trend of, you know, monitoring and correcting wrong think. They're they're basically yeah. saying youth have bad ideas, ideas we don't like. We need to do something about that because it leads to grown-ups who believe in the Second Amendment, and that's bad. So we need to change the way they think. What's what's the game plan here? Because You know, they didn't really come out and say, here's what we're going to do, but it sounded like they had something in mind that, you know, we're collecting this research and and there's always a next step. So what's the next step? Well, the next step, I'm sure, is going to say how how, how poor these 4,000 kids that are, are, how badly they're doing, how they need to disassociate themselves from the, what they call the gun culture. They need to get rid of guns. We need to take care of them because as Joe says, they're all our children, right? Well, I mean, that's disturbing. We're going to have to keep an eye on that. You know, it just shows you what happens when you have so many millions of dollars. Um, and they've really, you know, I got to hand it to them just from a propaganda standpoint. They, they really have uh, created an organization that can pump propaganda out to the public very, very efficiently, and they're getting away with it, especially in today's fractured media. You know, you, you're an old, old-time old newspaper guy. You remember how it used to be. Compare that to the way it is now. Journalists, honestly, most of them probably don't even have the time to do a lot of research. 
they just write up their stories. They publish directly online. They move on to the next thing. There's not a lot of vetting for information or checking resources. No, I, I recently saw in my local paper what was called a news story, Staff and Wire Report, um, about how good the hospital is doing, uh, which was written, of course, by the hospital. Uh, I think they're more concerned about just filling space than they are ethics and getting the news out and holding people accountable and speaking truth to power. Uh, that Those days are gone, man. Well, that that's always the... Uh... The, uh, the golden ring, right? Because you, you send out a press release. We do that too. And if they use like one line or one quote from your press release, that's great. I think once yeah. once we saw a story where they printed like a couple paragraphs from the press release. But, you know, on the other side of this, they'll, they'll you know, if every town sends out a press release, they'll publish a bunch of it. And yeah. you, that that's that's what you do. You try to make it easy for them. You give them the the copy, give them pictures, you give them, you know, headlines or whatever, and you hope they're going to pick up as much of that as, as you know, you can get them to do. Yeah. Uh, this That was a triple word score when, you, when they'll take a whole press release like this. I haven't seen, uh, getting back to your PSYOP comment and your propaganda comment, I haven't seen this type of a factory since the fall of the former Soviet Union uh, because this is this is insidious. And very few people are catching on to the fact that it is so regimented and it is so incredibly well-funded. You know, I look at what Bloomberg pays and what what he gives the anti-gun community. Man, if the gun community had access to that that type of money, uh, it would be just amazing what we could do with it. Yeah, well, we we need a sugar daddy, and I'm not I'm not sure who to call. Uh, if you if you know, let let me know. <laughs> I will. I definitely will. So there's another story that you wrote recently. Uh, I like your headline, Breaking Snooze. Kind of a play on words there, breaking news. Breaking snooze. Neither the Brits nor the gun banners like the NSSF. So you're talking about the National Shooting Sports Foundation. Basically, this story was published by The Guardian recently, and they seem surprised that Gun manufacturers and gun retailers have a trade association, a lobbying group, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, so, you know, what what is the breaking news with this? I don't know. I was still trying to find it. Basically, that NSSF, and then I know people there, and I know you know people there. It's a great organization. They are the trade association of the firearms industry. Uh, and they're doing a hell of a job. Well, the Guardian seems to just have found them, and and they're they're more insidious than the uh, the headline of the story, even more insidious than the NRA, uh, <laughs> U.S. gun lobby group gains in power. Well, they're lobbying for their industry, which is what they're supposed to do. And you know what? They've been doing it for more than sixty years, even though the Guardian just found out about them. Uh, I, I like NSF; they do incredibly good work. And that's pretty much all that the Guardian could put on them is that, hey, they do, you know, they're lobbying and they're successful. Well, great. That's what we want. So who do they ask for comment about NSSF? Uh, the author, Peter Stone, who wrote the story, they asked the Violence Policy Center, Every Town for Gun Safety, and of course, Giffords. That, as I pointed out, is the journalistic equivalent of asking the Joker for an opinion about Batman and Robin. 
Uh, of course they went off as they would NRA or SAF or BFA or anybody. Um, the whole thing just, just it's, it's a nothing burger, but once again, it puts our industry and the people that are lobbying hard to protect our industry out there in a negative light. Uh, and then they tried to, uh, they try and squeeze stuff into these hit piece stories, uh, like things they call conspiracy theories about big government efforts to undermine the second amendment. So I added a list to the story of big government's efforts to undermine the second amendment. I'm just going to hit half of it. Joe Biden's war on gun dealers, Biden's unconstitutional executive orders, Biden's lies about the second amendment, Biden's use of false data to gaslight Americans about mass shootings, homemade firearms, uh, law-abiding gun dealers, Biden's collusion with the financial industry, with the shipping industry, with the legacy media, ATF's criminalization of pistol braces, aftermarket triggers, solvent traps, their use of unconstitutional knock-and-talk home inspections, ATF SWAT team raids on law-abiding gun owners, their illegal gun registry that they're trying to create every single day, the joint ATF-IRS SWAT team raids, and the over-militarization of the IRS. That's just a couple of what they would consider, what the Guardian would consider, conspiracy theories. No, this is real, man. This is what's going on right now. Well, you know, Lee, this is all part of a long-standing narrative about lobbying, because we've heard for a long time, especially from the left, lobbying is bad. But... You know, I'll tell you, lobbying is essential to democracy. You know, the word lobbyist is is thrown around a lot as as a bad thing. But, you know, you'll probably recognize uh, a sentence, Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Right. That's right in the First Amendment. That's lobbying. That's the definition of lobbying. Lobbying gives a voice to individuals Companies, nonprofit, uh, workers' unions. I guarantee you on the left, they have plenty of, of lobbies. Everybody has a lobby, right? There's the, the National Association of Retailers. There's the Pharmaceutical Research Manufacturers of America, um, American Hospital Association, the National Education Association, American Trucking Association, U.S. Chamber of Commerce, even individual companies like Facebook, Amazon, Boeing, AT&T. Oh, yeah. FedEx, Exxon, Coca-Cola. They're even really obscure ones, uh, Lee, like the U.S. Association of Reptile Keepers, the, <laughs> the cigar, cigar Rights of America, Catfish Farmers of America. I'll and, trust you on these. And, and Lee, my favorite, the American Dehydrated Onion and Garlic Association, uh, with, without which I could not fix any of my steak dinners. So, <laughs> you know... Of course, the gun industry has a trade association that lobbies yeah. on their behalf because yeah. government passes laws that affect them and they need a voice to protect their interests, just like everybody else. Well, and then to say in their story that um, NSSF is using paranoia to drive gun sales up for the industry. After reading the list of things that the Biden administration is doing to infringe upon our Second Amendment rights, uh, they, NSSF does not need to use paranoia right now to drive gun sales. Biden is driving gun sales. Yeah, well, you know, we used to say that about Obama. Obama yeah. was named the, uh, you know, America's greatest gun salesman. Not anymore. <laughs> you 
you know, I've, I've noticed a theme in gun control circles, but, you know, you could also see this across the spectrum of left-leaning political groups. There seems to be surprise that right-leaning groups have the audacity to fight back. Like, yeah. why don't they just submit to our wise and progressive ideas? You know, like sort of like if you watch South Park, you know, Cartman's character in South Park, you know, submit to my authority, you know, yeah. that, that kind of thing. Why are they so surprised that we would want to protect our rights and fight their bad ideas? I mean, they certainly, you know, on the, on the other side of things, they certainly fight for their ideas. Why shouldn't we do the same? I think because they have this stupid sense that they're right. And, and that's the only thing I can come up with. I've wondered this too. I've often wondered this, you know, first of all, why would they even, why do they even get involved in these type of groups? Because if you don't like guns, fine, don't buy one. Has always been my attitude. It's up to you. Uh, more for me, so to speak. But yet there, there, there's this zeal. Uh, I, and I got to think that most of it is coming from a paycheck. I mean, look at the guy who used to work for Kimber, now working for Giffords. I forget his name. I'm intentionally not mentioning his name. Um, it's lucrative to go over to the dark side and sell your soul to Gabby or to Bloomberg or to all of the above. Uh, I've never seen anything like it. But but I've, I've never seen that on our side of the aisle. You know, the, you know we, we certainly fight for our rights, but I, I've never heard a conservative basically express surprise. I can't believe that they fight for what they believe in on the left. I've never heard that, but I have heard that from groups and individuals on the left that there is genuine surprise that, yeah. that we put up a fight, and, and I don't quite understand that. We're not dealing with right. We're dealing with ignorant people over there. I mean, and the lack of their their ignorance about firearms and the Second Amendment is only part of their issue. I don't think they're whole people, if you yeah. know what I mean. Well, yeah, and and I I think that sort of thing is just you know going to continue. You know that that's an interesting story. The National Shooting Sports Foundation is a great organization. We work with their lobbyists right here in Ohio. You're right. They don't. They're not really a public facing organization. They're 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 for the trade, so yeah. they're not out in front of the public. They're not well known like the NRA. So you know they they publicize their work to retailers and to manufacturers. It's the business. It's not it's not um, you know out in front of people. They don't have a flashy magazine that an ordinary gun owner would would get in the mail and things like that. But they're a great organization, and you know we need. And they them. put on. We should we should point out. They put on SHOT Show every year. Right. And that, uh, logistically speaking, has got to be the biggest pain in the butt in the world. In, in, Las, in Las Vegas. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a giant show. It's like the NRA, like the NRA show, and it's just for the trade. So it's not open to the public. It's for the manufacturers, retailers, the, the press, and just anyone who's involved in the trade. But it's a massive, massive show every year out in Las Vegas. Yeah, and that draws thousands and thousands of people. It, it, I can't imagine trying to organize something like that. If they just did that, they would be a fantastic organization. But then to do all the lobbying and all the behind-the-scenes work and working with dealers, especially now that gun dealers are under such an assault from this administration, I mean, they're 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 doing a great job. That was kind of nice of the Guardian to point that out indirectly. Yeah. Lee, there's one more story I'd like to dig into here, and, and it involved Bass Pro, uh, there was this guy you reported on 
uh, from Florida, went to a Bass Pro outlet, wanted to buy a handgun, and was denied a sale. Now, he wasn't turned down. His background check went through. According to your reporting, the, the, the company just refused to sell him the gun, even though he went through the background check. So what happened here? Well, the guy's name is Cecil Trimble. He, he manages a Hooters, and he's doing pretty well. He, he took a fishing reel into Bass Pro to have some new line put on it. Um, and while he's waiting, what were you? What would you or I do? You know, the guy goes immediately goes over to the gun department. He was been looking for a Sig P three sixty five X macro. They had one there. The price was pretty good, eight hundred bucks. So he pops out his Florida concealed weapon or firearms license, fills out the forty four seventy three, and is you know is planning on walking out the door with it because in Florida your CWFL is your background wait is your waiting period. Clerk came over and said to him, and I got to quote this, the ATF has approved you, but we're denying the purchase, he told me. And obviously, he's astonished, right? Like, what the hell? Turns out his brother-in-law used to live with him. And his brother-in-law hadn't lived with him for a couple of years, but he still has uh, Cecil's address on his driver's license. So his brother-in-law, who's not a prohibited person, uh, he's former law enforcement, former military, buys guns all the time. He goes in there to buy a gun, and he self-denies on the 4473. Unfortunately, he must have checked the wrong box on a question, which, you know, if if you're in a hurry, if you're not really paying attention, you put a yes where you should have put a no, it can happen. So they denied him. And then the, the guy told him, uh, he said, look, my brother-in-law doesn't have anything to do with me. And and the, the guy said, the clerk said, it's Bass Pro's policy not to sell any firearms to anyone living at the same address as somebody who has been denied. Obviously, they're you know concerned about a straw purchase. But when you look at that, Dean, I mean, your straw purchase usually happens within a couple hours or at least the next day. This was months since his brother-in-law had been in there. His brother-in-law tried to buy a cheap revolver. This guy's trying to buy an $800 SIG 9mm. But the manager even agreed with them. But they couldn't get the GM of compliance on the phone to talk this out. So as it stands now, Mr. Trimble or anybody living at his address is barred from buying a firearm from Bass Pro ever again. And to and, be, and to be clear, and to be clearly, this is not an ATF policy. This is not no. Florida law no. This was the store policy at Bass Pro. No, as you know, and as we've discussed, a gun dealer doesn't need a reason to deny a sale. They could deny it because the way they don't, they don't like the way you look. Doesn't matter. They don't have to have a reason. But this is a corporate policy. And now, uh, as Mr. Trimble pointed out to me, what happens at apartment complexes? I just moved into an apartment. Let's say that somebody lived here prior and and, and was denied. I could not go buy a, a firearm at Bass Pro. Not that I would, Dean. Uh, but yeah, it's their it's their internal corporate policy, which is wrong. But the thing that struck me is when I spoke to one of their people, they admitted that they do keep a data log on this of all the uh, of all the guys' addresses who have been denied. I I get a little nervous about that, although they can. He wouldn't go on any further. He said at the store level, he's not allowed to go into details. Of course, I called everybody at the Bass Pro Shop headquarters. And nobody wants to talk about it. Um, you know, I, I'll, I'll say this. If if Biden's weaponized ATF 
ever successfully revoked an FFL from a big box store like Bass Pro, um, that would be a major coup. So I understand being careful. We've got a real successful dealership here in Sarasota. Uh, the guy that owns it's a friend of mine, great gun dealer. He has two full-time compliance officers where all they do is look over paperwork because they know that ATF is at war. They would love to get their FFL and revoke it. So I understand being cautious, but you know, I think I'll take my my business somewhere else. So you think that this guy can't go to any Bass Pro anywhere? Yeah. I mean, there's pretty much one around there. He went to the one just north of me up in Tampa, which is for this this portion of Florida. It's the only one around. But, you know, I I, I get what they're trying to do, but it, it just leaves a bad taste in your mouth. You know what I'm saying? Is this, uh, I mean, this smells a little like, uh, you know, what happened with Dick's Sporting Goods. Exactly. And that's the same thing that Mr. Trimble pointed out. Dick's went down that slippery slope and look what happened to them. Right. Yeah. They, they, uh, they really lived up to their name. <laughs> yeah. They still do. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of, you know, trying to cancel companies and all that kind of thing. But I got to say, you know, when, when Dick's did that, that, that was it. And not that it was a great place to buy firearms anyway, no, but uh, you know, I I wouldn't even go in. They they moved into a mall near where I live, and uh, I I just I don't even go to that side of the mall anymore. It's just just not attractive to me because of how far they went. It's kind of sad if Bass Pros, you know, goes in that direction. What what portion of their business is firearms? I have no idea. It's got to be huge. I mean, when you not only firearms, but when you look at the accessories and the clothing and everything that goes with it. I mean, what half a third? I don't know. I know they're doing. They're killing it on boats down here. Yeah, uh, but and they have a lot of other stuff too. But yeah, if they ever if they ever go full dicks, <laughs> I, I will. I will never darken their door. I'm not sure we can say that on this podcast. This is a, <laughs> this is a PG rated podcast. Yeah, um, it's just it's sad. I mean, I I don't go to big box stores to to buy my guns or ammo. I, I support my local gun dealers mostly because they're friends. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's too bad. You know, the pressure from the Biden administration is probably driving a lot of that. They're they're afraid to lose their license, and it just makes them do things that are really unfortunate. You know, that sometimes you know it's unintended consequences. You know, it sounds like right. a good idea. Let's be really careful about who buys guns. But you you got to look at the real world consequences of that, and here's a guy, you know, completely innocent, just trying to make a purchase, and he can't do it. Well, I I rarely talk about stuff like this, but I have a story stuff that I haven't written, but I have a story coming uh, next week, uh, follow up on one of these uh, home kitchen tabletop FFLs that I've written about, and uh, you know he's speculating. He's really an introspective guy, and, and smart really, uh, really knows the industry. He's been selling guns for 40 years. You know, if the Biden-Harris administration keeps up their war on gun dealers, the only place where we might be able to buy a gun is the are these big box stores, Dean, at some point. And that scares the hell out of me. Yeah. I think people don't realize how many small sellers there really are out there. You know, it's not yeah. just retail. There are a lot of just individuals who are just selling a few guns a year. They're doing it legally. You know, they, they have to meet all the same, you know, compliance that everyone else does. And, uh, you know, it, it's just, it's the equivalent of you've got to buy your groceries at, 
you know, Kroger or at Walmart and you can't go to a local grocery store, you know, yeah. sort, sort of like that, doing a driving the small guy out of business. And they're certainly not getting rich. They're barely getting by. I mean, their margins, especially on some of these like Glocks, you know, they're making $25, $30. All the, all the, yeah, they, you don't make money um, selling guns, really. Uh, you know, the only way, if you're going to set up like a retail establishment, you got to have retail. You have to have a range. It's the retail yeah. that makes all, all the money. Ranges themselves or just selling firearms is not particularly profitable, you know, in, unless you're able to cut your costs in such a way that to, to make it profitable, but you're not getting rich off of selling firearms. No, definitely not in a small shop. Not unless you're buying them by the pallet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Lee, is there anything else that you can report on that I haven't asked you about? Well, we still, our, our streets, I'm looking right out the window. They're not covered with blood. They're not running red with blood. Even though it's been a couple months now since we've got our version of constitutional carry, we're not shooting each other yet over parking spots. And uh, it's been kind of a nothing burger. Uh, it's funny how a major restoration of our civil rights here, of our gun rights, uh, the, the the media curve of stories leading up to it just stopped the minute everything was restored because there's nothing to report on, as you well know when you guys got it. Yeah, and, and it's the same way here. Nothing, nothing has really happened. Of course, now that's not going to stop them from coming after it. You know, we're seeing polling, which we think is leading up to some action, and I'm not really prepared to talk about that in this podcast, but there's a lot of dissatisfaction with permitless carry, and, you know, I won't be surprised if they try to come after that. You know, what happened after we passed just regular old licensed concealed carry, people were paranoid about it, and it took about 10 years, and after a decade, people started to admit, you know, hey, you know what, it, it actually is kind of working, and the police liked it, and the public felt comfortable with it. I don't know that we're going to have a decade for for that to happen, kind of settle in. I think that they're, you know, still kind of raw about it, and they might come after it. I don't know if there's anything like that in Florida, where they're they're so unhappy that they're going to try to to revoke it. Well, let's hope not. I know all of the pro gun groups here in, in, that operate in the state. NRA, Gun Owners of America, uh, NAGR, and uh, Florida Carry, and I'm on the board of Florida Carry, we are all going to push together to get open carry because that was not specifically, that was specifically left out of the bill. Governor DeSantis said he would sign a constitutional carry bill. He ended up signing an unlicensed concealed carry bill uh, because our speaker, our, I'm sorry, our president of our Senate uh, was scared by open carry. So we're going to push that. That is our next goal. So he's triggered by seeing a gun? She is, yeah. Oh, she doesn't she. know anything about guns, and she admitted that. So she goes to the Florida Sheriff's Association for a primer on open carry, and evidently it scared the hell out of her for some some weird reason. We're, we're fighting that. And, and you know, supermajority Republican in both houses, and yeah. we still couldn't get that through. Dad, are your cities in Florida kind of like ours? I mean, you know, Ohio is kind of a rural state. It's very red, except for these these blue spots right where the, the big yep. cities are. Is it is it the same way in Florida? Absolutely. Uh, Sarasota, where I live, is red. Our entire county commission is, is Republican. But you go down to Miami or up to Tampa or Jacksonville on the other coast, and it's deep, deep, deep blue. Um that's why it was so interesting that uh, when he won, uh, DeSantis won uh, Miami-Dade for governor, because that doesn't happen. 
Yeah, it's interesting how politics works. You know, the the one a best way I think to divide people up is rural versus urban. There are all these other you know people talk about liberal versus conservative or Democrat versus Republican, but rural versus urban is really how everything tends to break down, and I think it's becoming more so. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm I'm glad I live in a uh, uh, in Florida, and I'm glad I'm living in a state that I don't have to worry about my gun rights. I earlier today I was on the phone and on on radio in New Jersey, and uh, talking. You talk about behind the lines. You talk about you know John has a long mustache, the chairs against the wall type stuff going on up there. Somebody's been watching some movies. Yes. (laughs) Well, Lee, thanks for spending time with us today. Where can people read your original reporting? They can go to thegunwriter.substack.com. That has everything I do. Well, thanks again, and we'll talk to you again soon. It was fun, Dean. Talk to you later. That's all for this episode of Keep and Bear Radio. If you enjoyed the podcast, I urge you to subscribe. And please subscribe to the Buckeye Firearms Association newsletter at BuckeyeFirearms.org. If you'd like to become a member and support the work of BFA, go to JoinBFA.org. Use the discount code PODCAST to get $10 off your membership. That's JoinBFA.org. We'll see you next time on Keep and Bear Radio.